Could you give me the full name, please? Beverly Gale Allen. No one is certain if the mystery deaths and illnesses were natural or sinister. Reports began to emerge and the nurse had been arrested. I was struggling to think, would she be responsible for this? She was the only one that was present for all the incidents. I'm really going to give a harmful drug to a tiny little helpless baby. They wouldn't have dreamt that she was going to hurt their child. I'm sticking to my story. I did not do it. What you just heard there was a clip about Beverly Allett, serial killer nurse that killed four children and babies and injured another 11. Welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I have Mary on board with me to do this episode today. Hello, everybody. So... This is, um, found this case very difficult to be working on because of the subject matter. So, um, you know what? I think I just want us to get right into it. You good with that? Sounds good. Okay. Between February to April 1991, on Ward 4 at Grantham and Kesteven Hospital, four babies had died and 11 had come precariously close to death. Ward 4 was a pediatric floor. It was decorated so that it was inviting to children, with Mr. Men cartoons painted on its pale green walls. The nursing staff was experienced and well-trained, though, like most hospitals, they were short-staffed. The doctors were dedicated and got on well with the nurses. It was like a big family in a small town. They were shaken by all the deaths and emergencies. Normally, there was one to two deaths on the floor at most per year and maybe an emergency or two. Ward 4 was not equipped to care for seriously ill children. If a child's condition deteriorated, they would be transferred to Queen's Medical Center Hospital in Nottingham, where there was an ICU. Grantham is a small historic city of 30,000. It has a prosperous outdoor market and a 16th century girls' private school. The land surrounding the town has the rolling hills of Lincoln Sheep Country. The hospital catered to those that lived in Grantham and those from the small towns surrounding the city. It was at this hospital that a sweet and healthy baby boy named Leon Taylor was born. His parents, Chris and Joanne, felt blessed to have another beautiful child in their family. Liam was the younger brother of three-year-old Jamie. At seven weeks, he developed a cold, and when it didn't improve, they called the family doctor. The doctor visited their home and diagnosed Liam with bronchiolitis. So bronchiolitis is a common lung infection in young children and infants. It causes inflammation and congestion in the small airways, the bronchioles, of the young children. Bronchiolitis is almost always caused by a virus, and it usually happens in the winter. It starts off with the same symptoms as a cold, but then progresses to coughing, wheezing, difficulty breathing, and the symptoms can last for days, up to two weeks. Most children get better at home, but a small percentage need hospitalization. So the doctor wanted Liam to be admitted for precautions and observations and any supplemental care that he might need. However, the doctor felt it would only be a short stay. Joanne took baby Liam to the hospital and Chris arrived after work. Liam was getting oxygen and had a feeding tube, also known as a nasogastric tube, placed. Babies with congested noses and airways find it very difficult to suck and therefore can't take in much of any nourishment. This is why the nasogastric tube is placed. It goes in through the nose, into the esophagus, and then the stomach. A young nurse by the name of Beverly Allett was working one-to-one with the seven-week-old. She fed him the formula through the feeding tube, and Liam started to improve rapidly. 
so his parents decide to pop home for an hour to take a shower and change their clothes. When they returned to the ward, they were approached by one of the nurses that told him that Liam had taken a dramatic turn for the worse. He was gravely ill. His skin was pale and gray, and he was hooked up to monitors, had an IV that was delivering fluids and medicine. Joanne asked Nurse Allett what had happened, and she had told him that Liam had suddenly become very ill and projectile vomited and had stopped breathing for over a minute. Allett comforted the parents as they watched with fear as the hospital staff tried to stabilize their beloved son. There were two pediatricians that were the main physicians on Ward 4, Dr. Nelson Porter and Dr. Sharith Naniakara. They were experienced, trusted, and well-respected doctors who in the months to come would be devastated by all the tragic events that would take place. Dr. Naniakara told Liam's parents that the next 24 hours would be crucial. They would have a better idea as to his prospects after that. So Alec continued to work one-to-one with Liam until 10 p.m. and returned the next day at 7 a.m. Chris and Joanne had grown a liking and trust towards Alec. She seemed to be giving their little boy excellent care, and she was very compassionate. They even requested that Alec work exclusively with Liam while on shift. Liam got so much better over the next couple of days that he was moved out of the observation room into a regular room. His parents were beside themselves with happiness. He was now able to feed from a bottle. He was alert and kicking and moving his arms and cooing. His color was so much better, as was his breathing. That night, Alad had returned to her 10 p.m. shift and was assigned again to care for Liam. Joanne felt so confident with Alad's care that the exhausted mother went to the parents' room down the hall to get some much-needed sleep. Chris stayed at Liam's bedside with Alad. At approximately 1 a.m., Chris, too, felt that Liam was in safe hands and he joined his wife to get some sleep as well. At 5.30, the parents were abruptly awoken by the charge nurse telling them that Leanne had gotten gravely ill again. He had stopped breathing, but this time for much longer. The parents frantically rushed to their baby's side. The room was crowded with an emergency team of doctors and nurses working hard to save Liam's life. Dr. Nani Akara gave Chris and Joanne devastating news. Liam had gone into respiratory failure. His brain had gone without oxygen so long that he had likely suffered severe brain damage. Liam's parents were inconsolable. The hospital reverend, Ian Shelton, was requested to christen Liam. Dr. Naniakara told Chris and Joanne that it took an hour and 15 minutes to stabilize him. Normally, children who had gone into respiratory failure were recovered within minutes. His devastated parents were told that they had to make a decision whether or not to take Liam off life support. Chris and Joanne were in shock. How did their beautiful baby go from a cold to the brink of death in days? With agony, Liam's parents decided to have him taken off life support. It was removed at 6.30 a.m. His parents cradled him lovingly throughout the morning, and he passed away peacefully at 2 p.m. The hospital asked his parents if they would consent to an autopsy. They agreed because they wanted to know what happened to the little boy. The postmortem revealed that this once healthy baby had died of a heart attack. Okay, wait a minute. A heart attack? Yeah, heart attack. That was heartbreaking to listen to. I mean, this poor little guy. I mean, just... My heart just broke. For uh, the little little man and uh, his mom and dad. But so, a heart attack, like, unless they have some sort of a heart condition, isn't that kind of rare? Babies don't die of heart attacks. They they just don't. They Their hearts are strong. They're not... Um, 
I mean, unless they had some sort of congenital thing, but well, that's why that's you would do different. an autopsy, right? Yeah, and if it's congenital or, you know, if they had a heart condition, if they were born with it, they knew well, about it. Then their, their pediatrician would probably know about it, right? Well, yeah, but the way his, their, his heart, the heart attack that he had was something that was what you would see in a middle-aged to older person that had been drinking and smoking their whole life. This just wasn't like his heart stopped. It was how his heart stopped. Hmm. So 100% suspicious. So, you know, at the time, they don't see it as suspicious. They see it as baffling. Like, how did this happen? Yeah. So, um, yeah. <sighs> oh, my goodness. It'll all come together, unfortunately. Hmm. On Friday, March 1st, 1991, Liam James Taylor was cremated. His white marble headstone reads, Liam James Taylor, Puddin' Pants, December 23rd to February 1991, age seven weeks. Love you hundreds. Mom, Daddy, and Jamie, little child, come unto me. As it would turn out, Beverly Allett would be the nurse caring for all four babies that died. So who is Beverly Allett? How did this monster get made or created is it nature is it nurture what is it and sometimes we think or believe the family origin is going to unravel or help unravel the mystery of of this psycho you know psycho but this one um is not as obvious but here i'm going to just we're going to get started all right interrupt me anytime you want all right when tell you have me, something tell so, me about her Beverly Allen wanted to be a nurse from a young age. More than anything, she wanted to be a pediatric nurse. She was born on October 4th, 1968, in the village of Corby Glen, eight miles outside of Grantham. She was one of four children, two sisters and a brother. The Allets were a respected blue-collar family. They were well-liked and, by all accounts, were considered a loving family. Her mother was a janitress at a local school, and her father worked at a liquor store. Beverly showed some troubling behavior at a young age. She would wear bandages on her arms, making up stories that she accidentally hurt herself. And when she failed to get the attention she craved, she began to self-harm. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. Cuts, burns, and even breaks resulted. Her attention-seeking behavior would get increasingly worse. She also started to show aggression towards others. She was always telling lies, like she had been hit by a car or had lung disease. And she spent a considerable amount of time in hospitals seeking medical attention for many different ailments. She even convinced some doctors to remove a perfectly healthy appendix. What? Uh, yeah. How do you remove an appendix? It's you just keep faking that it's painful. You know, yeah. it's not like they had Google back then. She could just look up appendix symptoms. But the thing is, but you have to understand, like people like her. Okay, so let's let's just. Let's just say it. Clearly, she had Munchausen's. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm no psychiatrist, but done enough yeah. research into this. This is classic Munchausen's behavior. Where was she in the birth order? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. She had a younger sister. I know that. So. I don't know if she was like third or middle. Well, there's no middle in four, but you, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, no, I, I don't know where. Okay. Um, so this is classic Munchausen's behavior. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the attention seeking, the self-harm the lies, the aggression towards people, um, the, you know, um, infecting of wounds, 
all of it. She just... Oh, did she affect her wound after she had her appendix out? That's Oh, I didn't get to that part, did I? <laughs> yeah, no, the wound was slow to heal. And they and they said to her, like, look, we know what you're doing. And she's lie, lie, lie. Nope, nope, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. So Sounds like Lacey Spears. Well, that's the thing. All right, <laughs> and if you break down any Munchausen's uh, person, it, they almost are... They could be relatives because of the behavior is the, hmm. so similar. Yeah. So, yeah, she uh, de- denied this completely. And so she would doctor shop going from one doctor to another. Um, and if she was not getting what she wanted, she would just go to another one and another one. So she appeared to have a normal school life. Her best friend since childhood, Rachel Smith, were very close. And this friendship carried on through high school. And Rachel has given, and you'll see a, a good insight into Beverly's childhood. Rachel would say that Beverly showed an interest in younger children when she was no more than a child herself. She was playing with younger children in the neighborhood. She would often be seen walking up and down the sidewalks, pushing children in a stroller. Now, even though Beverly was considered to be smart, she didn't have the grades to get into a private school. So Beverly and Rachel attended the local high school together. Beverly had babysitting jobs all through high school and talked often about wanting to be a pediatric nurse. Like other kids her age, she didn't get into any trouble when she is was in school and she didn't date. She showed no interest in um, in dating. This was in high. Sorry, this was in high school. Yeah, so she okay. was never. You so know, she was you know good. She babysat. Yeah, average student. Yeah, she just was like sort of under the radar. She was just like, oh, good old Bev. You know, she's a a nice. Uh, she was a nice girl. She loved kids. She was a babysitter. You know. Do you know what I mean? That she just all around, she just all around had a, you know, a, a good reputation. Right. Nothing, nothing. Came. Aside from these illnesses and other things. But right. That information, like that may have just stayed within the family or close friends. Like I, I'm sure it wasn't known around the community that this is what she was doing. At least I don't have any um, indication of that. She just was a, a well-liked teen. <laughs> but, you know. I remember growing up and if I saw like older kids, like hanging out with younger kids, I thought it was weird. Even as a kid, I thought that was weird. Yeah. I mean, unless she had a younger sibling and she, but she spent a lot of her time playing with these younger kids. Like what's a 10 year old, 12 year old doing playing with like three and four year olds pretty much exclusively. Hmm. Yeah. That's a little bit odd. You know? I was, you know, I had it was just an extension of her wanting to be a a nurturer, babysitter kind of person. Yeah. I mean, I know that, uh, I mean, I had a brother that was five years younger than me and I was, I wanted nothing to do with him. (laughs) I just wanted to play with my friends. (laughs) Yeah. He probably wanted to play with you. Well, yeah. I'd let him hang out a little bit, but you know what I'm saying? It's, I don't want, maybe I'm wrong. I just found it weird. And I, I, I think it's easy to look at it now and go, oh yeah, that, that's an obvious sign. But this is back in the, you know, 70s and just seemed like, oh, nice kid likes to hang out with, uh, uh, help out, uh, you know, parents in the neighborhood. And yeah, you know what I mean? Like it obviously wasn't anything that anybody thought about. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, like I said, as a teenager, the adults saw her as a pleasant, happy and helpful young lady. Along with the babysitting, she worked part time at a local store in a pub. When Rachel and Alec turned 18... Rachel got married and moved away and the two friends fell out of touch. So 
shortly I'm going to talk about the one relationship she did have. And that's with a, a, a man by the name of Steve Biggs. Okay. It's going to really reveal some stuff. Her ex, because, because he saw the true Beverly and suffered much abuse from her. And this will give us a good look at who she really was. She was not happy-go-lucky and gentle and trustworthy. At the age of 16, Beverly finished her high school education and again did casual work as a babysitter. She decided to pursue her dream career to become a nurse. And so she entered the pre-nursing program at Grantham College and she graduated from the year-long course. Beverly went back to babysitting and it was during this time that she met Steve Biggs. Allett and Biggs met at the Fighting Cocks bar <laughs> in September 1987. Love, love those pub names. Yeah. <sighs> he was quiet and shy and he worked in road construction while Beverly was domineering, bossy, and verbally and physically imposing. This is common behavior in a sociopath. They are superficially charming and manipulative. They earn people's trust, get them emotionally invested, and then gaslight and abuse them. Beverly spent a lot of time drinking and playing pool at this pub. And when Steve saw her, he says it was love at first sight. And he was, you know, he was a gentleman. He would walk her home after the pub to make sure she got home safe. I know. Mary just made a face like, what? I don't get it. I think it's hard, especially when you like, you know, know who she is to become or you just heard a little bit about her. It's always like just this big kind of guy. Yeah. And, um. And But the thing is, she could be physically imposing. Like, she wasn't, you know, a little skinny waif of a girl. She was, yeah, at that time, she was overweight. And I'm not weight shaming. I'm just saying, like, she w had, was able to, like, literally throw her weight around. And with her personality and the fact that she was, you know, stocky and strong, you know, uh, a nice guy who wouldn't think of hurting a woman is going to be, you know, in this case, I believe that I'm not saying that's how it is in the, all the time, but he, it just seemed like she was very, had a strong personality and he was a gentle dude. And, you know, he got charmed by her. Harry's <laughs> face is so funny. Well, it just seems like a, from the way you describe, like, I was like, mm, charmed by her. Early on in their relationship, Beverly uh, told big, sad and tragic tales of her life, but none of them were true. Well, here we go. More lying. Yeah. So she did this to get his sympathy. Beverly told Biggs that one of his high school friends had raped her at knife point. She told him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Total fabrication. Well, of course it was. And uh, she told him that he was the first person that she confided in about this traumatic event. So this is. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it's fabrication. I mean, uh, no, it was fabrication. based on behavior. We think it is. But... No, it, it was fabrication. And I'm not anyone to deny if someone says they've been raped, I'm going to believe them. Um, first, unless I'm told otherwise, but in this case, she was lying, um, for the fact that they were years apart, he wasn't around even at that time. Like there was, they couldn't even, they wouldn't even been in their, each other's company. Cause he oh, wasn't okay. even. So he was older than her? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. A few years older. And the guy wasn't even in, um, Grantham or Corby Glenn at the time that this, that she said this would have happened. So she gives this terrible story which you know that just negates or just makes it very difficult for other women that or men that have been raped because oh yeah well you know guilty to you know innocent till proven guilty but anyway um 
so this is what she does. She tells him the sad story and he wants to, he wants to feel protective of her. And then she says, and I've only ever told you. So he feels like honored that she shared that. And he's a good guy. So he's like, wow, this, this, this happened to her, but she trusts me. So, so yeah, that was uh, sort of the start of, of her, her bullshit, if you want to say. It was three months before Biggs met her parents. And he thought they were great and they got along well. He found the Alex warm and inviting and fun loving. And Steve was falling in love with Beverly and was wondering if she could be the woman that he would marry one day. Even though Biggs was feeling strong emotions, he found Alet hard to read. She seemed disinterested in sex. In fact, months would go by between inter intimate encounters. When they did have sex, it would only last for like five minutes because she would just push him off and walk out of the room without saying anything. I mean, um, hmm. how would you feel? Well, I think it's just, am I doing something wrong? Is there, was she got a problem with intimacy or, you know, like setting up that story about being raped and then he may be like, oh, she's too traumatized to have sex. Like, so. I think that it would be very difficult and it would, it would, I think it would hurt the person mm -hmm. because, you know, what, what's going on? But well, she wouldn't give any reason. Yeah, you love them. You want to be intimate. Well, yeah, that I intimacy. mean, that's just the natural part of a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you want to have that intimacy. So, I mean, just pushing him off and walking out of the room and saying nothing when there's a history of her being cold. But again, he was likely like, oh, man, she's gone through a lot. But she would use this to manipulate him. Mm -hmm. Okay. She would, you know, say, well, you know, if you do this and that for me tonight, you might get lucky you know, paraphrasing. And then that would never happen. Right. And this is a guy in his early 20s. Intimacy is a big deal. Not that it's not for, you know, women. I'm just saying in this case, we're talking about him and her. Yeah. So, you know, and he loved her. So, but I mean, obviously he was a kind and patient man. So, and by all accounts, I mean, I've read a lot about this case and, and different things. And uh, I saw an interview with him. And it doesn't indicate to me that he was, you know, anything but a decent guy. So one day out of the blue, Beverly asked Steve to marry her and he was surprised and he said yes. And he was happy because he was thinking of asking her himself. So if you stop right there and think about it, she is still in control. So it's control, control, control. Right. I was like, she proposed to him? Yeah, because that gives her the control, right? Right. That's how I see it. Hmm. He was very happy because he was thinking of asking her to marry him himself. So he bought them rings. They told their families and her parents were like, oh, this is great. Um, and early on, he discovered her love for kids. She would sometimes take him along to her babysitting jobs. And she told him that she wanted to have kids of her own, of her own one day. I have a theory. I think that Alet was a lesbian. And that she used Biggs for appearances. And also she might able to use him to have children as well. Hmm. So she's very closeted. Because I'm definitely not the kind of person that says that thinks everybody's gay. You know, there's some <laughs> gay people that are like, oh, they're gay. They're gay. They're gay. They're gay. For sure they're gay. No, I'm not. I, we're, I'm not. We're not a club. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? But in this case, you'll see as the story goes on. But I think this suppressed these suppressed feelings also like 
fueled this rage in her. Yeah, and this is what, in the 80s? Mm-hmm. In a small town. Yeah, small town. But think about it, too. Raised Christian or The Anglican. attention she would get about being engaged. Right. Oh, you're engaged. Is this your... I'm going to try an English accent. Is this your new bloke? Okay, so <laughs> I don't mean to... Uh, have to make light every once in a while. So in September 1988, she started her nurse training and was assigned to a care home in Grantham. She decided to move to Grantham to be closer to the nursing home. And she moved into a dorm-like setting for nurses that worked at Grantham Hospital. And this is when some very disturbing things started to happen at the apartments. Feces was found smeared on the communal door leading to the apartments. Ew. There was more feces found on the kitchen counters and in the bathtub and lying on a shelf in the fridge. Ugh. I, I know. A fire started in the stove. And when the fire department arrived and figured out what the cause was, is because feces had been placed under the grill. And when it was switched on, it caught on fire. Okay. Isn't like doing stuff with feces like a big hallmark of something really wrong with a person it's very disturbing like it's hardwired in us not to play with our poop and mess around with our <laughs> excrement no like pee or poop but especially poop we're just we're like ugh, because we know like our bodies are like that's just that's that's bad for us it's got to get out it's waste it's bye-bye it, yeah it's Everything that can make you sick. And it just, we, like, animals cover it up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, not animals, but they don't, as the saying goes, they don't sleep where they should. Right. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, well, cats will, unless they're marking their territory, right? But they don't, they don't sleep where they should. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, they, they do it and they go to a different area. <laughs> this is just so messed up. It is. It's really messed up. Like, t- I don't even. There's some really disturbed or very, um, like some children with behavioral problems that have suffered abuse that they will sometimes say, and it doesn't have to be, could be like a, a child that's been horribly traumatized and abused. You will see some of those attention seeking behaviors or some of these behaviors that they're, that they're, you know, it's, it's, there's something very wrong. So obviously there's something very wrong with Beverly. Right. And but these things started when she, once she arrived at yeah. the, the dorm. Yeah. Okay. When did they stop? So she started this whole kerfuffle, you know, while, while living there and she's got everybody going. So she's controlling that situation as well. Mm-hmm. So a police investigation was launched and miraculously it all stopped. So Steve had been upset when Beverly moved to Grantham. They had been seeing each other every day and now it was reduced to weekends only. And she also refused to allow him to visit during the week and um, wouldn't really talk to him on the phone. Alec became increasingly violent with Biggs. And here's a quote from him, okay? Quote, she used to hit me a lot and I just had to take it. The arguments were silly, but she ended up thumping me in the face with her fists. Once she gave me a black eye and it turned all yellowy green. I'm 6'2 and I weigh about 12.5 stones. But she could impose her will on me. She could get what she wanted anytime and she did it with other people. Bev could manipulate people. End of quote. What's 12 and a half stone? I need, I need my British math calculator. I wish we had our... Hey Alexa. Hey, Wait a minute, let's try this. Hey Siri. 
How much is 12 and a half stone to pounds? 175 pounds. Oh, okay. Thank you, Siri. Thank you, Siri. Um, so yeah, there you go. So it wasn't like a Six huge to one seventy five. I mean, I, he wasn't like this big monster. No, but still, probably like lean. You know, yeah, he was a construction worker, right? So, hmm. um, see, so, yeah. and this is where you know sometimes people, you know, you know, more the majority of domestic violence is is you know men on women, but you can't necessarily assume that right i mean here's a guy who would obviously never hit a woman because he's been you know raised that you shouldn't do that Mm -hmm. Um, but he was being beat up yeah he was he was he was a victim yep 100 percent. and i think that i mean i could be wrong and people can tell me if i'm wrong but i think it's a lot harder for men to admit to it because there's this whole you know, mask, you're, you're not a man, you know, like the right. men, they feel like they have to protect their masculinity or their society has told them like man up and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's so much harder for, I think, a man to come forward and, and talk about it as, you know, mm-hmm. for, for their own different reasons. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So there you go. You know, flat out, that gives a good um, indication of how she is. So let's carry on. Um, she announced to Biggs one day that she was taking some time off to go on a two-week vacation. And he thought it was a great idea. They never had really gone away together as a couple. Except he wasn't invited. She <laughs> took this vacation with a woman from work. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. And she told Steve that he couldn't... Okay, so when she was gone, she said Steve couldn't drive their car. So she put chalk behind chalk marks behind the wheels and wrote down the mileage. Control, <laughs> control, control. But he drove it anyway. When she came back from vacation and discovered this, he took another beating. A year later, another vacation was booked. And this time Biggs would be going along. It was how nice of her (laughs) with another couple. Before the vacation, the other couple broke up, but her female friend went on the trip anyway. And instead of sleeping in a room with Steve, she slept in her friend's room. And for obvious reasons, he was unhappy with that. Here is another quote from Steve about something. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. My gator is going off. Yeah. Well, you can see I wasn't just sort of, um, you know, saying, oh, okay, well, she didn't like sex. Therefore, she's. Yeah. You know, well, if you yeah. look at from the very beginning, the disinterest in dating. Right. And, you High know. High school. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so here's a, another quote from uh, Steve that happened, something that happened on the trip or things that happened on the trip. One night we were getting ready to go out and Bev came rushing out of the bathroom holding her thumb. She said that she got it stuck in the tap getting washed. Okay, that to me sounds to me like... <laughs> that did, sounds like a suture room story. Yeah, how did you get your, your junk stuck in a tap that's, you know, that, that spout that's in the bathtub? Oh, I slipped. Like, it's... Yeah, yeah, you it's, had one of those. <laughs> yeah, so it's totally like, how do you get your thumb... Stuck in the tap? Yeah. I mean, the story is bad. You know, it's just like whatever. Clutzy? Yeah. yeah. You don't accidentally shove your thumb. <laughs> what kind of aggressive hand washing are you doing? I don't know. Like, this is even pre COVID. God. All right. So she comes rushing out with this. What is it? Bleeding? What's happening? Okay. Well, um, I'm just going to carry on with his quote here. <laughs> um, she said she got it stuck in the tap getting washed and it was red and raw. So we rushed her to the hospital. 
We were there until 2 a.m. It was broken and they had to plaster it up. Broken. Have you ever broken anything? Uh, the hairline fractured my wrist, but that was I fell off the roof of a motorhome. Yeah, but how much did that? <laughs> well, that's another story. I have I have broken. It wasn't moving at the time. Yeah, <laughs> just so you know. Or like surfing your your motorhome. No, I have like I have broken a finger and dislocated my thumb a couple times and broken a toe, and it hurts. You know, you stub a toe or get your finger jammed, but to intentionally snap your thumb, mm. like how much determination and like craziness, not people aren't going to like that I use that word, but whatever, would it take to just be able to dissociate and put your thumb, snap it? However she did it. I'm sure she didn't. Ooh, yeah, that, that could be how she did. Like I could see how if you did stick up there and then like. You know, how else do you break your thumb? A thumb is not really something easy to break. Ow. I don't think. Any well, so Okay. Okay, so let's carry on um with his his quote here. But afterwards I got so then carry on, uh, but afterwards I got to thinking what an incredible thing to happen, and I decided she had done it deliberately to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Bev always had to be the center of attention. So while on the road trip, she started holding hands with her friend while they were out. And she even started walking like a dude. Walking like a dude. So here's another quote from Steve. It's actually this quote. This quote um, is a bit dated. Okay. And I find it a little funny. Some people might find it offensive, but I find it a little funny because it is dated. Mm -hmm. So he said, uh, quote, I thought it was a joke when she started holding her girlfriend's hand, but it went on for two or three days and she started walking like a fella too. I was getting worried. I'd ask her friend if she thought Bev had turned queer. <laughs> Sorry, it just sounds so funny. And she was worried too. When I asked Bev about it, she said she was only joking, but it made me wonder, end quote. So how do you joke about sleeping in the same room as your friend and holding hands and walking like a dude? Okay, to carry on, um, Alex continued to bully and abuse Biggs. And here are some other things that she did to him. She told him that he had to grow a mustache because he didn't look like a man. She told, so she was emasculating him. Wait, say that again? She said, you have to grow a mas- mustache because you don't look like a man oh. without one. Um, She told him he was fat. And as we know, he was 175 and 6'2", so it's <laughs> not the case. And that he had to do 100 sit-ups a day. She made him do that. She continued to antagonize and batter him. And she would... Um, uh, punch him in the face and use her nails to rake down his face. Like she'd scratch his face. She would kick and humiliate him. Um, She would manipulate him by promising sex. If he would do things for her, like I said before, and then refuse afterwards. And she didn't show him any affection. And he finally had had enough and told her it was over. And then when she did, she slammed his head into a door and ripped out chunks of his hair and told him that he's not going anywhere. Quote, this is what he said. She grabbed my hair and dragged me to the floor. I was on my knees and shouting, let me out, get off me. And this upset me and I started to cry. End of quote. And this happened at Alet's parents' house. And her sister oh. had to come in and break it up. So this poor guy, obviously, he, he must have been so confused. I mean, he's he's, you know wasn't fell in love with her and then she does this and he's just so 
Yeah, you could see how... Like, he just... He lets her do this, in a sense. Or he doesn't... He doesn't lash out to protect himself. He not really lets her, but he doesn't hit back. Mm -hmm. You know, he feels helpless because this psycho bitch is kicking the shit out of him. Mm -hmm. And he's just not going to retaliate, which, you know... um, at that point, if you're getting your head bashed into a door and your hair ripped out and kicked and punched, uh, I think it might be, okay, I'm not going to get into that. It's going to get me in trouble, but I'm just saying. Well, he was a battered man. He was a battered man. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's awful. So the sister broke it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay, so. So she graduated from the nurse training program, but barely. She had missed more than 50 days going to uh, doctors in the ER. And she had taken long periods of time off of work for a long list of illnesses. She applied for a a job at the care home that she had trained at. And she arrived at the interview looking like she had just crawled out of bed and was questioned about her attendance. And her interview went so poorly that she didn't get the job. Although, which I think is weird, they did agree to allow her to work some casual shifts. And, Just in case we're short staffed. Yeah. And that would be a big mistake. What's is a care home like a retirement home? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A nursing home. That's what we would call it here, I guess. Oh, okay. Alan applied for a position at Grantham and Castephen Hospital to work on the pediatric floor, ward four. And they were extremely short staffed, so they agreed to give her a six month trial and probation. In mid February, just after she started working there, she applied to the Pilgrim Hospital in Boston, 30 kilometers away. And this would have been her dream job, working at a large hospital with critically ill children. But she didn't get the job due to lack of experience. But this didn't discourage her. In her own mind, she reasoned that she could work six months at Grantham Castephen Hospital and then reapply to Pilgrim Hospital, that that would give her the experience she needed. And in less than six months... Four babies would die, four babies and children, and 11 would become critically ill, and it would be at the hands of her. And her her first victim was the little guy that I talked about first, Liam Taylor. Oh, boy. So, yeah, horrific, absolutely horrific. And I think her giving her background there um, up to this point, gives a lot away yeah there's something deeply disturbing underneath and she's transitioning at this point from munchausen's to munchausen's by proxy or better munchausen's and munchausen's by proxy right because she still had that behavior when she was in nursing school yes but now you know she can try to make herself look like the hero right so you throw some, you know, angel of, of death in there as well. But, uh, you know, really it's, that was, that was the whole point was to make her the hero and get all the attention. So, you know, um, the next episode, I'm going to talk about uh, some of the, uh, the tragic deaths of uh, the other kids. And, but in this time, it shows the deterioration of her, of her brain and of her mind, of her You'll just see. Mm-hmm. So we'll give um, some time to talk about the little ones because I think that they deserve the time to be recognized and um, 
and mm-hmm. have a, a face and a name to honor them. Because sometimes the victims are the ones that um, you don't remember their names. You remember the names of the of the murderer yeah. or of the abuser. And uh, like I said, with each uh, murder in injury, you see what happens, how her brain... Um, no, I don't even want to say her brain, just her... Her mind. Her insanity. I don't even want to say insanity because she wasn't insane. She's a monster. Her psychopathy. Yeah, psychopathy. So, yeah, that's it for today's episode. Need to take a breather there between doing um, this case and the unit 731. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know. My brain is. My brain. So, uh, but the yeah, this is um, some pretty heavy, horrific stuff. Before I go, before we go, yes, I love, love, love getting reviews, even the stinkers, because, you know, it teaches me stuff, too. I can learn from things. Yep. And um, I appreciate all the support that I get from my Patreon patrons, and like it, it does really go a long way. I know I say it because it's true, even though I keep saying it. So thank you guys for that. And for all the Facebook peeps. Shout out to the Facebook peeps. Yeah, such a great group. I love you guys. We love you. And uh, the Twitter has been tweeting a little bit more lately. So uh, you can check us out there. And yeah, that's that's it for today. So um, hang in. A new episode of this woman is going to be coming out shortly. And uh, yeah. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay tuned. And uh, be careful. I Everybody's, so many people are getting their vaccines. I hope they go well with you congratulations these are unprecedented times where you know you hear about the polio vaccine and you think about the last major vaccines and discoveries this is pretty huge so uh we're a part of history i'd rather not be part of this history (laughs) but uh good on everybody for who are getting their vaccines or are waiting to and wearing your masks and keeping your distance and i know it's every single person that listens to this show so uh you guys are awesome okay so please take care of yourself Take care of each other, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime, and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.